Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for having me again today. It's always a pleasure to join you here in Wood County and come and share with you a little bit about what's going on with TBHC. Uh, always, first off, uh, here's here's a good-looking family here to show you. That's me, of course. The rest of these people are my family. They put up with me. That's probably a good way to put it. Well, uh, let me uh, get get into something I'm pretty excited about, and that's a brand new thing that we have done this year called a podcast. And many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with podcasts, and some of you may not be, but it is a platform to share stories on, through audio. It's very much like a radio show, except it is um, primarily a digital platform. So we are on a digital platform, and the podcast is called Bringing Kids Home. Uh, the Turners have already had their turn sharing their story. And many of you know Dwayne and Charlotte Turner. They both grew up in Jacksonville, been married over 64 years, uh, and their journey of adoption started in 1961. Uh, and they were advocates then, but are very big advocates for TBHC and their ministry. Um, I love what he says. We felt a responsibility to bring those children together, realizing that God had a plan. It was his planning that brought it together. Nothing anyone else did, God brought it together. So I'm really excited about their their story. It's out already. You can listen to that. Del Traff instead is a family that they came along and adopted through us. And now they've since moved to West Texas and are pastoring at El Dorado Baptist Church out there, one of our SBTC partners. And uh, just a great story. They adopted three kids and they have their two biological. And I love the, the term he uses. You are called like a firefighter. You have a moment in time where you are to go in and you're to take care of one small piece of the problem. It's such a, a neat story. Maggie Paulus is a, a woman who has adopted herself. Uh, she grew up in Arkansas and uh, 14 years, her and her husband have been traveling the country with their four kids uh, around Sharon in revivals. And she says, what does it mean to belong to a family? What does it mean to be unconditionally loved and to be able to change? When I look at those caterpillars and when they are in the, the chrysalises where they are held and are safe, that's where transformation happens. That's what I believe a family is meant to be. So um, another dear friend of mine, this is a dear friend of mine, Narita Drake. And I, I just want y'all to hear a little bit of her story. Uh, it's the trailer for the show. So I'm going to go ahead and hit play at this time. Well, as I said, you will not want to miss it. So uh, bringing kids home. You can find that on your phones by typing that in online. You can do it on the webpage. If you go to Texas Baptist Home for Children's webpage, you can find the links in our blog area as well. So really excited about that. Um, let me tell you a little bit about last year. We had 251 children we were able to serve, and I praise God for that. It's lower than the year before, and this year has even been lower than that. And some of that has to do with COVID-19, and some of that has to do with some other factors. But... Uh, caring for kids is our primary goal, and we are we are honored to be able to do that. 251 came through our doors. That uh, is a, a big privilege. We had 20 children 
uh, adopted last year. That's always an incredible number. That is the climax of all of our work. We want to see forever families, even if some of our families reunite. Uh, so that's a really big deal to us. Uh, the other thing we did is we had four uh, children find faith in Christ. So I am I'm so pleased with uh, what our ministry is and does, and I hope that you will celebrate with us on those numbers. Adoption, you know, we're going to get rolling through these photos. These are so neat to be a part of, and you'll see many of them by our bell tower because they rang in the fact that a family was started in 2020 and 2019. So as you may imagine, it was a very difficult year. 2021 uh, has, has been difficult for adoption as well, so we'll see what happens this year. It's been an amazing year of testimonies uh, with the podcast and all those kinds of things. It's just, it's been exciting. But um, the events that we do, the 5K in 2020 happened, and then everything else was canceled. And that blew me away. Uh, we pursued other events, but they just weren't going to happen with everything happening in our world. But the obligation of our organization is to not, not do what the world wants, but to keep our kids safe. So we did take a lot of steps to ensure that they were as safe as we could. And, you know, we did a couple of drive-through things with our back-to-school party. We also dropped off Christmas gifts this last year with a Santa Claus in the driver's seat and uh, drove a truck all over the place delivering gifts to our kids. And one of the greatest blessings uh, last year was completing the swimming pool. Uh, URWMA, Miss Jackie, uh, we wouldn't be able to do it without y'all. Uh, Miss Jackie is the one that championed it for us, and we were able to get that done along with y'all's help and make it happen. So that was huge. Such a great blessing. Uh, the challenges were numerous last year. Uh, we were at a deficit of $400,000. Um, and what that looks like is we we adjusted our budget, much like anyone else would have done. Um, how does that impact us? Well, we did have to do some heartbreaking things uh, with the number of staff we employed. Uh, we made good decisions, I believe. They were tough. They were very tough decisions. And uh, some personal sacrifices were made as well. So uh, that is that is where we are. And we are in the process of trying to uh, stabilize that and recover. And y'all have been very much a part of that. So just thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, I, I want you to pray for our families. We had one of our mothers experience the loss of her husband this last year, and they had just adopted an infant boy. So she is walking that road right now of being a single mom and him growing up without the presence of his loving father because he was definitely loved and brought into the family, but he's not there anymore. Uh, he's with Jesus. And I got to go to that funeral, and it was a very 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 special funeral so just continue to be praying for them all right well today we're going to look at jeremiah's third sermon and that starts in jeremiah chapter 7 and all we are going to get through is basically the opening remarks through verse 11 jeremiah the prophet is in so many ways the one of the most tragic prophets in scripture many of you know his name means the lord shoots or hurls or throws he was born during manasseh's reign and manasseh if you remember his kingship you know he brought back all the abominable things 
that King Ahaz started, like the sacrifice of babies in God's temple. So Jeremiah was well aware of the customs of his own people in turning away from the one true God. Jeremiah's ministry begins uh, when he was very young and during the reign of Josiah who led his people back to God and revitalized the temple to serve God again, no longer false gods. Jeremiah was witnessing what most would have called a revival of the nation of Judah. Yet we see God's message to his people is one of punishment, and only true repentance would hold back his chastisement for them. Matthew Henry reminds us, in short, if they would repent and return to God, he would restore their peace, reduce their grievances, and return them in mercy. Our text will be Jeremiah 7, 1 through 11. But before we get there, just a quick look at just a couple of places. Jeremiah 1, 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That's a powerful call for God's expectation that life is precious from the very, and I mean very, start. Jeremiah 3, 13. Only acknowledging your, only acknowledging your iniquity that you have transgressed against the Lord your God. The first of many appeals to turn from their ways. But this is the hard for prideful people, isn't it? God loved them and was continuing to tell them that repentance will stay his judgment. So as we turn to Jeremiah 7, he begins to speak up in the culture. Jeremiah begins to speak up in this culture and his tragic story, the weeping prophet. You know, Jeremiah must, instead of looking at the beauty of the temple, must stand up and rebuke the people. Because just because the building is ready for worship doesn't mean the people's hearts were. Their behavior, their ability to worship was hindered by one simple truth. They were living outside of the covenant that God had declared they must live in in order to worship him. So Jeremiah speaks with judgment and promise that God will one day bring restoration, but it's only after he has broken his people and scattered them. Only then will he bring them back to the land of their fathers. So today we pick up at the moment where the people have gathered to come to worship God and God says, wait. Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you go stand at the gates and tell the people, you make them listen to me. So our text will be Jeremiah 7, 1 through 11. Would you stand with me in honor of God and his word? The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there these words and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter in these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in those lying words saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, or walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. 
Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know? And then come and stand before me in, in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered to do all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. Would you pray with me? As we approach your throne, we ask that you bring a word to us, that I hide behind the cross in everything that I say, in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Well, before we get in, when it says the word of the Lord, we're talking about something incredibly special. It's God's word spoken through his mouthpiece, a prophet, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. This this particular saying, I believe these people had been hearing of the destruction of their home for so long that they had begun to believe it with confidence that God would never allow the destruction of his temple as long as they kept it pretty, instead of knowing that it was the covenant and their character that God cared about more than the structure. Worship comes from a condition of character. Verses 5 through 7. I don't know if you have ever had to amend anything, but amending does not mean getting to start from scratch. The purpose of an amendment is to call out something that shouldn't be and to bring forth that which must be. So when God says that your ways and your doings must change, he is talking about the very essence of who they were. The statement following other gods to your hurt very much trying to plead with his people, asking them to stop because your path is one of destruction. The same way I would plead with my toddler to get away from the oven to their to their hurt. When he says dwelling in this place forever, it harkens back to one of the oldest covenants that God gave to his people, to their father Abraham. Genesis 17:8 says, also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you were a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So the condition of our character, you know, this matters a great deal to God. And beneath each one of these things, there is the scripture speaks of a motivation behind a person, having justice for people, stopping oppression, helping the fatherless and the widow, protecting the innocent from being murdered, and worshiping other gods. My wife and I have a consistent conversation about the world today. The heartbreaking of evil, abortion, racism, the mistreatment of the vulnerable. This is happening all around the world and in our own backyards. The children in our care are treated by their biological parents as pawns in a game of chess, easily used, and when they have served their purpose, easily disposed of. I always seem to come back and remind us that there is nothing new under the sun. Hatred between a man and another man it has existed from the beginning of time. Cain and Abel, for example, Joseph's brother selling him into slavery. And in our text today, it reminds us 
that the shedding of innocent blood is occurring. And I think anyone of us can insert something evil in our world today. You know, the Romans valued firstborn sons so much that if they had a firstborn girl, that they would carry this girl outside the city walls and leave her to the wild animals. You know, this is the condition of humankind for all of history. And unfortunately, it will never change without God's redemptive influence. So unfortunately, this is what will always be true. We will always have evil with us. But what this text is intentionally pointing to is the fact that you and I are being spoken to. That God's people themselves have forgotten his ways. They've entered this shiny new temple and want to come worship. And Jeremiah says, wait, it's not necessary for us to change in order to receive God's love and forgiveness. But it is necessary for you to begin changing in order to worship him and show him gratitude for the salvation he has given. So in order to worship, to be the mouthpiece of gratitude, it is our character that God cares about. He requires us to live a life worthy of worship because in living, we are in worship. In living, we are in worship. The promise given to his people so long ago, I believe, has less to do with the covenant of a place, but an identity. We read in Genesis 17, 8 a moment ago, but in 7 it says, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in the, their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. And I want to tell you, there's this little boy who was adopted this this year, and the family gave me permission to share their family name because it's important to the story. Their name is The Bakers. They sat down with him, and he was going to be a member of their family, and they got through telling him about his adoption, and his face lit up with excitement, and then deep concern. And he held up his hands and said, Oh no! And they said, What's wrong? He looked up and he said, I'm not ready because I don't know how to bake. You see, we should crave to not just have a name, but to have an identity that matches our family, that matches our God. God wants to be our God and he wants us to be his people and that is the covenant to Abraham applied to his people and we through Jesus Christ can now be members of that amazing family and get that amazing gift because even if we don't know how to bake yet we need to start acting like it If our character sets us apart for worship, it is our conduct before men that testifies of God's worthiness. If our character sets us apart for worship, it is our conduct before men that testifies of God's worthiness. Worship comes from covenantal conduct. Verses 8 through 11. So I want to convey that the covenant 
with his people had been broken. And God is long-suffering. And over and over and over, he continues to give his people another opportunity to live within the covenant. And in verse 9, it really paints the picture of how far his people had walked away from him. Theft, murder, adultery, swearing falsely, burning incense to Baal. I find it so interesting that he again elaborates on other gods by saying, walking after other gods that you don't even know. His people had experienced rescue from Egypt, salvation from oppression, witnessed miracles of walking through the Red Sea, traveling the wilderness, and God providing with manna from heaven, and victory after victory to acquire the promised land that they now lived in. And now generations later, all that is forgotten. Not even the scrolls were known, found just a short few years earlier. The covenant had been completely and utterly forgotten. Gods whom you do not know, you worship? Really? Do you know what has always set the Jewish faith apart in the Bible? It is the fact that they were the only people whose God was the creator, and also one who they had a relationship with. David speaking of God as Father. In Psalm 68, 5, it says, Father of fatherless, protector of widows. We see the prophets, Isaiah 64, 8, uh, Now, O Lord, you are the Father. Malachi 2.10, Have we not all one Father? Has not God created us? And Jesus, jumping to Matthew 23.9, says you have one Father. He's in heaven. You know, God is one that we could have a relationship with. Starting in the Old Testament, God presents himself as one to whom his people should have a relationship with, not just burnt sacrifices to. It's pretty easy to appease a rock and a stick carved into an image. But to have a relationship with God, that takes work. And none of the other peoples in the days of, of our text comprehend, nor do people today comprehend, that God, the creator of the universe, wants a relationship with you and I. God is clearly wanting his people to behave, to change, but it's not about the behavior as much as it is about the covenant that has been broken with him. You and I both know that the word covenant is just a great word to describe relationship, mutual love, expectation of conduct, promise of fidelity. See, we are God's people. And that's what Jeremiah is speaking truth into. You have forgotten the covenant that binds us to the Creator. So you can show up at this place and say we are now free to do abominable behaviors because we have been forgiven? Well, Romans 6, 1 through 2 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it. The covenant with his people then and now still binds us in conduct. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to change it. I, I tell people to read his Sermon on the Mount to understand how he came to fulfill the law. Jesus taught us that it is not the behavior only. It is also the condition of our heart, our character. So we finally come to this place that reminds me of what Jesus did. Jeremiah is speaking in this place on God's behalf of being a place of thieves. 
What are they stealing? Well, I believe it is perverting the worship of God. And that is the theft happening here. So when Jesus in Matthew 21 clears the temple and says, in tw- starting in verse 12, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who brought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. You know, it is because they're stealing the worship of God. So it's our covenantal conduct. That is also the testimony of God's worthiness. God will always be worthy of worship. In fact, there is nothing my life can do to change God's worthiness. I can be the wretched wretch that I am. And it doesn't change his worthiness of worship. But my life lived within the covenant that my conduct reflects the truth of his word. That he is the testimony of my life to God's worthiness. There's a song that I'm going to try to play for y'all tonight. It's been some time, but it talks about how worship is more than a song. That singing with our mouths praises to God is insufficient worship. That it is our heart's condition. It is our behavior in the world. This is the expression of my identity. It's what makes our worship complete. So our conduct within God's covenant makes worship whole. Our conduct within God's covenant makes our worship whole. Jeremiah speaking to these people is so important because his words cut to the heart of who they were and who we can become. God loves us. Jeremiah 1.5 reminds us, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, me. In Jeremiah 3.13, acknowledge your iniquity, that you have transgressed against the Lord your God. We allow pride to interfere, to be reminded that God loved us from the start and that my pride can hold me back. So tonight I want to enter a time of prayer. When I asked you to pray for our children, one of our adoptive mothers from last year lost her husband just after adopting her son. He's really little and what she's walking through right now is heartbreaking. That little boy is going to grow up with the legacy of a loving father, but not the presence of him. And the reason I want to take time to do this today is because I feel we don't take enough time. As Jesus said, this is going to be the place of prayer, a house of prayer. And I believe this statement to be true. We are guilty of laboring laboriously instead of praying purposely. One of my greatest privileges is to minister to pastors. And I have sat down with young all the way up to just older youth. And every one of them, I ask them this question, how is your prayer life? And many of them confess that they are busy people, that their ministries to their church, preparing sermons, visiting in the hospitals, that they are stretched so thin for time of prayer. And prayer has become a check mark in their day. And I look at each one of them and I say, I know that you are working so hard. And I believe the reason you don't look 
at prayer as something to be worked hard in is because it feels so passive. And if you're unlike me, uh, we weren't raised to be passive, but to get to work. And I want to assure all of you today that prayer is work, but it's beggar's work. And what are we missing by not praying? What a friend we have in Jesus expresses it well. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So what are we missing in prayer? Asking God to do for us what we cannot ourselves, which should be everything. God still will move mountains because he chooses to. And the most passive step of faith we have is to pray. So let me invite you to enter a time of intentional, purposeful prayer. I'll have these prayer requests on the screen. And there's no need to get up from your pew, but I'm positive the altar is open. I'm just going to play for us for just a few moments. And when we get to a, a closing time, I'll have some lyrics that I'll sing. Because worship is more than a song. Pray for the vulnerable. These are our children in care. These are some of your neighbors. These are some individuals at nursing homes. These are people that have legally or illegally come here to this country. These are children on the border who's a, who an adult dropped them off because they want them to have a better life. Pray for the injustice in our land. Pray that the laws matter to people. Pray that we will take action. Pray for the, the faithfulness of God's people. That we would see needs and take action. That we would step up in this world. Pray that God would be our leader. And then sing, worship is more than a song. You see, God wants our worship to be from our life. And more than a song. God bless you and thank you so much for helping bring kids home.